Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today in studio by Molly Williams. Hello, Molly. Hello, Sarah. So nice to see you this rainy morning. Yes, yes, yes. As I told you, I ran five rainy miles this morning. Lightweight wool is where it's at. That long mm. sleeve was my, my bestie out there because you couldn't be with me. I know. Well, maybe someday. Yes. But you have a new athletic endeavor oh, in your life. Uh, yeah. So to speak. Yeah. I, I tried pickleball mm-hmm. or pickleball tried me. All all on your own. I didn't force you into no, this. No, no. I've, I've been wanting to do it. I was waiting till after my knee and, you know, feeling like I was stable. Mm-hmm. So I took a learn to play pickleball. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was humbling. how so how so well yeah it just yeah i i i'm used to sucking hard at things and i i managed to do that with this as well so yeah i got there and advice like keep your eye on the ball i was like okay all right make your paddle go the direction you want the ball to go oh well now there's an idea (laughs) but it was fun got out there played around a little bit and then i went to another um you know, what facility. You, yeah. What do you, and then did a open play. Is that what you call it? Yes. Mm-hmm. With some other women that didn't barely know how to play pickleball. And we had a good time. Right. Yeah. We had our zero zeros game. You said the zero zero <laughs> score lasted for quite a long time yeah. because the scoring team could duo could never. No, we could never. Capitalize no. on making a point. No, uh-huh. no. But uh, yeah, but we had a good time and we, you know, hit it around. Yeah. And so you said what you thought was a big deterrent for you was that you'd never played a racket or a paddle sport no. before. No, yeah, I've never played tennis. I don't know how to play tennis. I don't mm. play ping pong. I don't, you know, nothing. So it's a big learning curve for me. Yeah, because I was surprised. I mean, the pickleball is known for being a quick to pick up sport and um, well, yeah. So I, 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 I can't just, get was, any worse. I, but it was, in, <laughs> it was intriguing to me. It was eye-opening to me to see that it's not something people just naturally pick up. Well, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Cause I played tennis. So, and I did, but I wasn't very good at tennis. The only time my tennis, my high school tennis team ever won a match against another school was while I was off getting my driver's license. So <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. So, but you're going to continue it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to go to a clinic today, but mm-hmm. instead I'm going to go home and work on my wizarding robe because I've been running out of time. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. your wizarding robe. Yeah. We we didn't have that in the show notes. <laughs> Tell me about your wizarding robe, well, Molly. You know, for wizarding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I've been lacking a wizarding robe. So I, I found some uh, curtains at Goodwill that it seemed like appropriate because you need a lot of material for a wizarding robe. I would Cause, think so. Because, you know, it's going to be a full length with a cap. And then, uh, yeah, so I got to find, it's sort of like a Slytherin which is my house. That is your house. You which do is have my a sweatshirt house. that you yes. often wear right. uh, after a workout. But you know, you, you don't have to like go with the standard black, like Harry Potter robe. So, you know, if you see like the teachers, they all have their own kind of version of a robe. So mine's sort of a, it's sort of a greenish, brownish, curtainy thing. And then I found some um, green striped uh, sheet material that I'm going to use to line the hood. And I got to find some good trim. Mm. And so, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say I don't think there are any hard and fast wizarding robe rules. No, I don't think so either. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play, yeah, loose and wild w- with it. Uh, I find myself an appropriate magic wand and get to my wizarding. <laughs> and we should say that you are a seamstress. You enjoy sewing. I, so this is a sewing. Yes, it's another thing I, I'm good at sucking at. But, you know, I go into <laughs> my room and abuse fabric, throw things in the corner, have fits, go have a snack, go back to it. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, low stakes. It's it's a bunch of curtains. I've got extra material. So Very good. my magic will remain no matter how bad the robe is. So. so, and Molly, this is to wear to a Halloween party or this is just to, yeah, in the know, privacy of when, your own home? When one needs a wizarding robe, I will have one. Yeah, no, I don't have anything specific mm-hmm. to use it for, but I've been wanting a wizarding robe for a while. A sentence one doesn't always hear. <laughs> there are plenty of people out there that are nodding their heads right now saying, oh, yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> you going to maybe put it up on an Etsy store, perhaps? Uh, no, it's going to be mine. <laughs> right. You know, maybe it's heresy, but, you know, the whole Harry Potter thing, it just never visited upon our house. My kids didn't mm-hmm. read the books. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I think they've watched some of the movies mm-hmm. because of friend that we stayed with at his house in Seattle a bunch of times. I think that was the one 
DVD that he had there. So whenever we would go stay at Will's house as a family, we would watch whatever Deathly Hollows or whatever mm-hmm. that was. Yeah. That, that's all right. Oh, you yeah. have you have pickleball. Yes. I have. You're right. Wizarding robes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my older daughter, Phoebe, is into Dungeons and Dragons. She could perhaps wear a wizarding robe. She for can that, borrow it. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. that's right. Yeah. Nobody would ever teach me Dungeons and Dragons. I, I suppose I could find a group at some point. Oh, it's never too late. No. Phoebe took it up late in life. She was a mere, I think, 19 or 20 when she took it up. Well, and she loves it. There's something else I could find she out really about. She really loves it. Yeah. Um, yes, she has this whole group and they get together and, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Might have to tap into that. <laughs> Hi, Phoebe. I'm here to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 Well, to each her own. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, as a lot of folks know, it is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And as a community serving, educating and honoring women runners, I feel it's our duty to highlight survivors and their stories every October. Sadly, there are too many stories to tell, but we're focusing in on four women today, including one who told me that when she was diagnosed, she listened to all the breast cancer related episodes of our show, which I felt very humbled by. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Our first guest is Janelyn Larish, a math professor and mom in Idaho Falls, Idaho. This triathlete was diagnosed in 2019 and our treatment involved a double mastectomy, hormone blockers, and daily chemo. Thanks for talking with us, Janelyn. Thanks for having me. Well, hi, Janelyn. What a beautiful name you have. Thank you. Yeah. How did you uh, start running and uh, what made you decide to get into triathlons? I started running when I was in college for no good reason whatsoever. And then I started getting into triathlons just to keep my knees a little bit healthier. Okay. Well, that's nice. So can you talk to us about your diagnosis and your treatment? Yeah. So my diagnosis, I had had a clean mammogram in October. My grandma actually died from breast cancer in the early 70s, a completely different time. So I was aware of it, but it certainly was not on my radar. Mm -hmm. And then one day in May, about six months after the mammogram, I'm literally just lifting my boobs up. Um, to see what they'd look like if they were perky. (laughs) Yeah, as we all do. Yeah. Um, And I felt something that it literally felt like a peanut. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard. And so I thought, well, I'll just wait until October for my next mammogram. And then about two days later, I went, that's the stupidest thing that you can put off. Mm -hmm. You know, the process, once you go to the doctor and they feel a lump, For me, it was actually quite fast. Um, It was less than a week when I got the diagnosis of stage one. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it had not spread to my lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. So I'm super thankful that for some reason I felt it. And then we were able, I did opt for the double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. So I did not have to do radiation because of that. The double mastectomy was approximately in June. And then I was, I tell people I was flat, but it's really concave for about four months Mm -hmm. until the expanders were put in. A lot of stuff that I learned was once you get diagnosed and your treatment plan is so incredibly personal and it's independently based determining off how your cancer is. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it can take three months before you even know the specific type of drugs that you might need just based off all of the tests that they do on your tumor. Mm. Okay. I was actually very glad that I did go for the double mastectomy because once they did the pathology, even on the good breast, they found some cancer in the good breast. Oh, wow. And then, yeah. So then that led me to, um, I take an estrogen blocker every day. I'm on four years of that. That leads to its own lovely side effects. And then just started running. Everything has changed. I'm slower, but that's okay. 
So, Janelyn, you mentioned those hormone blockers having those mm-hmm. ill effects on you, that, that specifically the tendons in your hands and feet. So can you share the, some of those details about that complication and the treatment for that and how it affected your athletic life? <laughs> I was shocked um, when I first started the estrogen blockers People would ask me how it's going because I expected to see a little weight gain. That's something that you read about a lot. But immediately my hands were so incredibly tight and sore and painful. They'd wake me up at night. I got carpal tunnel in both wrists. I got trigger fingers in all of my fingers. And it was just really surprising that it was the tendons in my hands that just tightened up so bad. Mm-hmm. I have seen on different sites that some people, it's their Achilles tendon that really bothers them. I've gone through a lot of, I tried some rheumatoid drugs. They didn't quite work. I haven't really found anything. Uh, Even four years later, the hands still wake up because they're stiff. And if you bump them, it's kind of like you've broken the tendon, Not, Mm. not really the bone, but It's almost like you're cracking or breaking your fingers at night. So the movement certainly helps. But yeah, that's that's been one of the biggest side effects for me. I tell people that the estrogen blockers on one hand kind of turn me into an 80-year-old woman on the inside, Mm. even though I still look 29. (laughs) (laughs) I don't because I'm 50 now. Yeah. (laughs) And yet you've enjoyed athletic success since your cancer treatment. Now we want to hear about your half Ironman triathlon. Well, I am very fortunate to have an exceptional group of friends that truly supported me throughout. And for months, it was if I could join them on a walk, I would join them on a walk. And then the cycling was certainly easier to come back to than the running And then once I did get back into the swimming, I think that the swimming helped a lot with all of that scar tissue that builds up in your chest. You end up with so many surgeries in your chest, in your abdomen, depending on the type of treatment that you go through. Even losing the lymph nodes under your arm when they Mm -hmm. take those out, your underarm gets very tight. So the swimming was actually very helpful for me. And then I had an exceptional physical therapist. So for me, I had some other events and I decided I needed to sign up for a 70.3. I needed it to be enough that would get me out of bed in the morning and also keep me from drinking a bottle of wine every night. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I signed up for St. George 70.3 and I was able to complete that in just eight hours. Wow. Which was, you know, I had done other 70.3s in around six hours years before, and I really don't care what my time was. Um, I was super excited to have done it, and I certainly felt accomplished. But moving for me was such a mental release. And then also triathlons are so independent. You only compare yourself against you. And Mm -hmm. so that was really great for me as well. And then I've just continued with... The gravel biking and the runnings um, that same year, we did a great half marathon in Boise as well with friends. Oh, wow. So did your approach to triathlon training change after your cancer diagnosis? I'm thinking like your stamina must have been, you know, not what it used to be. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then you were talked about wanting to drink a bottle of wine. You must have had a lot of depression going into this. Did it help with your, your mood and purpose? What was the mental part of it? Yeah, the mental part was there is this loss of self when you lose your breasts Mm -hmm. for so many different reasons. One of the things that I felt, and everybody is different, knowing that I was able to nurse my two babies actually made me feel better about losing my breasts. And then seeing the crazy scars on my chest, also those actually made me feel okay because I knew I was able to cut my cancer out. Mm -hmm. 
but there's still that loss of something that's on you. And then there's this loss of you don't have the same stamina. Your strength is gone. You are just not the same athletic person that you once were and you might never be. So that's kind of the depression that goes into, I feel like crap. Mm -hmm. So just being able to get up and I had to sign up for something big. Um, Many people know the Ironman events are very expensive. If I had only paid $60 to do the race, I probably would have just quit and not finished it. But being held to that $250 entry fee, and sometimes they're more, made me complete it. But it just the movement was so important for the emotional release. But also, it's that if I don't move, I rust. What is that? If I rest, I rust. And that is certainly true. Everything physically feels better if I'm still moving. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've recovered some of your previous energy or is it still down? Um, I'm still, so I had a really, I had the D-flap surgery just a year ago, which is another form of reconstruction. And that's taken me almost a year to kind of work my way back from. I'm four years out and I know I haven't. I still haven't found my pre-cancer anything Mm -hmm. and I don't know that I will. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also 50. So with the four years also comes age Mm -hmm. and grace and beauty. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, well said. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's less important to be going fast. It's more important to be enjoying the moments. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not overly, I never was overly competitive and I was never, if I make it on, I, I did a small try in Utah recently and I took third place in my age group, mm. well, look but there at were you, only three of us, oh. well, <laughs> but there were only three of us in my age group, mm-hmm. you know, so, but I own moments like that mm-hmm. and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. sure are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Janelyn, thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. Next is Amy Lippert Hoffman, a marathon runner and a stay-at-home mom of twin three-year-old daughters, and also one of the editors of a brand new book called Reformer Pinktober, Profound Story Sharing Behind the Pink Ribbon. Amy lives in Blaine, Minnesota, and she was diagnosed in May 2021 with stage two triple negative. We're so glad you could join us, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, hello, Amy. Can you tell us when you got started in running and how it progressed to marathon running? Yeah, uh, I actually watched my dad run a marathon in 2007. And I was like, I don't know if I could ever do that. But um, I thought maybe if I started running, we'd have like this thing we could bond over. So I started running in 2014. And I was not fast. I was, in fact, very slow. (laughs) And I did not imagine ever actually marathon running because I was going to be a five-hour-plus marathoner. Um, It wasn't until I found out about my charity, Team World Vision. We run for clean water projects in Africa, and I was like 100% on board. So I've been running marathons ever since 2016. Wow, good for you. Sounds like a good charity, too. Oh, absolutely. I've actually been into the field, too, and seen the projects firsthand, which has really made me continue to be committed to my charity. Mm, That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So please share your diagnosis and treatment and how you're doing now. Yeah. So I was actually about eight months postpartum with the girls. Uh, When I found my lump, it was literally two days before a huge charity event. And I just was feeling giddy about raising a lot of money for clean water projects. And I happened to grab my boob. And I was like, oh, goodness, that is a huge lump. And I instantly consulted Dr. Google, which anyone who is in the cancer community, they know what Dr. Google is. Mm -hmm. And I was only 33 at the time. So I was dismissed as having mastitis. Mm even though I had not breastfed my daughters for eight months. Mm. And after two rounds on really heavy-duty antibiotics, I advocated to my nurse practitioner to get imaging. So she actually 
gave me um, a referral for a mammogram and an ultrasound, which is really big for younger women because we have a tendency to have dense breast tissue. And during the ultrasound, they said I needed a biopsy. And in that moment, I knew that I had breast cancer. And I didn't get the call till three days later, but it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's obviously never a good time for cancer, but my goodness, eight month old twins. And so, you know, I'm the mom of twins myself and my head just spins over that. It was especially hard because they were about 15 months old when Mm -hmm. I had a double mastectomy and I could not lift them for six weeks. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And that is so hard to tell young toddlers that like mommy has big owies, mommy can't pick you up. And they just had a really hard time understanding that. But at the same time, we were all balled together and they just thought it was like this fun thing that they didn't have hair and mommy didn't have hair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I have a really cute video of us like rubbing heads. Well, talk to us about how you physically prepared your body for your surgeries, uh, both your double mastectomy and your reconstruction. It sounds like strength training was very important. I'm actually uh, a physical therapy assistant by trade. I just, you know, resigned because of the pandemic and having twin daughters. But I knew how important movement was. And honestly, I I actually marathon trained my entire chemotherapy round until the last like four rounds because I had a pulmonary embolism. I was going to run a Mm. marathon. And so after I could no longer run, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to pull or push for four weeks. So I started really working on core strengthening. I did all the exercise, what do you call prehab? And um, honestly, I was getting myself out of bed all by myself immediately right after surgery and walking. Mm, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went on to run your fastest ever marathon. I know. Well, that was an even longer journey. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> and that was after being cancer free for 16 months. Yeah. I, I, you know, the big part is I did Twin Cities Marathon in 2022 at 10 months cancer free. Mm-hmm. And then I cut a whole 60 minutes off. Wow. Six months later in Eau Claire. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Wow. Wow. On what looked like a very cold day from the video. <laughs> yes, it was cold. It uh, it was sleeting the morning of, but I run better in the cold. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, it was crazy. I actually through chemo, um, I no longer have asthma, and I had exercise induced asthma since I was young. So that was uh, I guess a bonus for going through all the chemo. So running's a lot easier now for me. Why would that clear it up? Uh, it's an inflammatory thing. So. People who have like rheumatoid arthritis, they tend to have good response with chemo and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't happen all the time. But my um, oncologist was like, every once in a while, yep, certain inflammatory diseases clear up with chemo. So do you feel like you're better than ever? Or is your stamina decreased? Or, you know, how do you feel you are from before and after? It's um, it's a weird thing because I definitely, if I do too many things, my total body fatigue can really kick up a notch. But I feel like when it comes to running, I'm a stronger runner. I enjoy it a lot more because I'm not suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it just, it feels empowering. I feel stronger. I feel like I can push myself. Um, which I never really with the asthma was always so difficult. But I do have to watch my heart rate a little bit more now because of post chemo. So that's kind of a tricky thing. And in the, in the heat, my heart rate tends to really get kind of out of control every once in a while. Did the chemo do that to your heart? Yes. Ah, yeah. Okay. Will that go away? Or is that do you it's know? hard to say. Okay. Yeah. It's been um, almost two years since I've been in active treatment. And uh-huh. it's I have, you know, good days and bad days with heart rate. Well, the running's probably good for your heart. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. I'm not stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. <laughs> All right. So we know it's your daughter's nap time. So we'll have to let you go in a sec. But you need to tell us about your fantastic new book. 
Oh, Reform Pinktober. Yes. So about uh, last October, I just really wanted to do something for the breast cancer community. And I am a little small town Instagram account, but I reached out to friends I had made and I just asked them to share their honest, raw stories about their journey with breast cancer. And um, one of those women, Jolie, came up to me and she said, yo, I think we should make a book out of this. This would be really huge for our community. And within a year, we had over 60 submissions. People just filled out their stories and we put them together a book. It was released just a couple weeks ago and we have sold over 100 copies. 100% of the proceeds are going to metastatic breast cancer research, the charity called Metaviver. And we are just over the moon excited to really make a difference in the community. Fantastic. Well, we will link to that in our show notes in the hopes that people will support that. So congratulations on that. That's that's a massive accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks for talking with us, Amy. Take good care. Thank you. It's time to hear from the brands that let us bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. We'll be back to talk with two more breast cancer thrivers shortly. Now we're joined by Leah Doriot, a special education teacher, consultant, and mother of two teens in Traverse City, Michigan. A little over a year ago, longtime runner Leah was diagnosed with invasive lobular carcinoma. Her treatment entailed a double mastectomy, chemotherapy, 25 rounds of radiation, monthly ovarian suppression, and anti-hormone therapy. Leah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you've been a runner for two decades. What got you started and, and how did your running progress? Um, I would say originally I just sort of dabbled in running just for fitness purposes. But once I had my second child, it really just became a way to have some time to myself. And lo and behold, the farther I ran, the more time I had to myself. So, (laughs) so I just kept going and goodness, I I think I ran my first marathon in 2013 here locally in Traverse City. And then, you know, after that, I was just hooked. I especially loved the marathon distance. So um, I have seven under my belt. Nice. Wow. And, you know, like everyone else, it's become just a very important part of my life. Mm -hmm. Well, Leah, when and how did you find out about your breast cancer? So I was diagnosed a little over a year ago. I actually was a little bit late for my routine mammogram. Um, I did not have any lump or any symptoms, which is one of the characteristics of invasive lobular carcinoma. It is the second most type common type of breast cancer diagnosed, but it is second by a lot. So I think it's like roughly... 15,000 women per year compared to maybe 60 to 70,000 women per year are diagnosed with ductal. And one of the things that's unique about it is that it doesn't form lumps. Hmm. It can form like a thickening in the breast. I was, and it's oftentimes really hard to detect and goes undetected in mammograms, ultrasounds, um, and things of that nature. I was super fortunate that something was noticed on my mammogram. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was the fact that I had small breasts to begin with that made it easier to detect, but I was called back for a follow-up mammogram, which led to an ultrasound. And actually, you know, it was like one of those moments, you know, like the other gals were talking about, like you just knew things were not good. Like the longer the ultrasound technician was taking, the more I just thought, oh dear. Um, Then the radiologist came in and she actually was so certain that what she was seeing was cancer that she told me that the biopsy would confirm the type and that if it came back negative, she would redo it because she hadn't gotten the right spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it was like one of those like, wait, I'm just, this is like one of my errands on my to-do list to be checking off today. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be this, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so it's just felt like a lightning bolt, of course. Um, so that's how mine was discovered. Yeah. Always shocking. 
Always shocking. Yes. Yeah. So I hear you replaced your runs with walks during your active treatment and that you are no longer able to do long runs. That must be hard. Um, tell us how your fitness pursuits have morphed in this past year. Well, I would say, yes, definitely during my active treatment after surgery, I within a month was starting chemo. I just did not have the energy for it. Um, I needed to be outside. I needed to be moving, but to push myself was not happening. So I just really just leaned into the walking and and enjoying the fact that I was out there and I wasn't on my couch Mm -hmm. (laughs) getting some fresh air. Granted, this is Northern Michigan, so they were chilly walks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it has been less than a year since I finished my treatment. I've finished chemo in March and radiation in May. So, you know, it is definitely taking some time, I think, to get back into a rhythm. But what I'm most surprised at, I think, is how I'm not in a big hurry, no pun intended, (laughs) to be running at the same level that I was Hmm. prior to my diagnosis. I think part of that is just the mental load that comes with going through something like this is just so much in and of itself that the idea of, you know, adding that pressure of having to get in so many miles or having Mm -hmm. to hit a time just felt like too much. Mm -hmm. So I feel like now it's really about showing up in the moment for how I'm feeling on any particular day, pushing myself if I feel like it, not pushing myself if I don't, and just, again, just enjoying being outdoors and being in nature and just sort of detaching from all of it. Oh, that's good. Do you do a long walk instead of a long run? So you get some time out there? Um, I'm doing some running. I mean, I'm up to about four miles when I go. Oh, hey there. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was used to like my shortest runs being around six. So that it's a little humbling. But then mm-hmm. again, at the same time, it I'm basically taking the same amount of time to do a shorter distance, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also trying to integrate more strength training, which has never been my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that, you know, a secondary result of all of this, I had to have a bone density test because one of the medications I am on is known for reducing bone densities. Um, I was looking for a baseline and lo and behold, I already had osteoporosis. Yeah, great. Uh, my spine as a young 47 year old. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mentioned that in the Google form. So what's the impact of that been on your running to, to find out that you have osteoporosis in your spine already? Well, I think everybody was really surprised because, you know, I have heard on repeat that runners tend to have stronger bones. Mm-hmm. I think my doctor was surprised my physical therapist, and doing my own little digging. Um, it potentially could be that the higher miles may have been detrimental, that lower miles uh, can improve bone density, but there might be a point where it has the opposite effect. Mm. They don't think it's a direct result of my uh, treatments because it hasn't been long enough, but you know, it just gives you pause. Like all along, I've just been somebody who believes in that motto of, I want to keep moving to keep moving. So, you know, I, I want to see myself running well into my later years. And I know that there's a balance there that I'm going to have to strike that I haven't quite yet. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe you are, you know, you're doing fewer miles and, you know, a little bit slower and, you know, that, that may be quite positive for everything. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it, you know, as runners, like we don't think it counts, right? Like if we're not yeah. sweating bullets by the end of it or, <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm learning to give myself a little more grace than I did before all of this. So that's just one of many ways, but mm-hmm. yeah, you wrote that on the Google form. You said, I learned to give myself a lot more grace and be more discerning about where I put my energy. And when I read that, I was like, you know, that's a lesson we could all benefit from, you know, without the coursework and cancer. Um, so, so talk to us about how that approach is serving you in areas of your life other than sports and fitness. Um, you know, I would say I'm a type A type of person who's prone to being pretty anxious about things. I think finding out you have cancer on a Wednesday afternoon when you're just going about your business puts everything into very sharp 
perspective real quickly. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I remember almost a strange peacefulness coming over me that day in the sense that all of those things that we think matter don't matter that much at all. I find particularly with things like work, um, a lot more of it just rolls off my back. Like, you know what? Somebody did this job before me. Someone's going to do it after I'm done. And it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't have to be perfect. I don't have to get it right. I don't have to lose sleep over it. My house is definitely not as clean as it used to be. (laughs) I don't meal plan as much. It's just kind of like, I I think I just ask myself a lot more, like, what do I need from this moment? And am I getting that in what I'm doing right now? And if I'm not, and I have a way of letting it go, I'm, I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. Your teens must be learning something from that. (laughs) Well, uh, I hope so. (laughs) It is just a very surreal experience. And I, I think that what I hoped that they took from it was that I was tough. Um, I was human and that, you know, things happen and how you show up for those hard moments in your life can make all the difference. You know, it's not a matter of if, but when, mm-hmm. you know, something challenging happens to everybody at some point. So. Yeah, I mean, that was always in the forefront of my mind. You know, they're paying attention as much as they act like they're ignoring you most of the time. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Right. (laughs) Right. Oh, goodness. Well, we wish you continued success on your journey away from cancer and on those four mile runs or however long they end up being. Leah, thanks Mm -hmm. so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Our final Survivor Thriver guest is Haley Nunn, a runner, rower, and mother of two school-aged daughters. Haley lives here in Portland, Oregon, and works in healthcare administration. In 2021, Haley was diagnosed with DCIS, ductal carcinoma, and she had a complete mastectomy of the affected side. Haley's the person who prompted me to do this episode, who I mentioned in the intro. She and I rode with a women's team here more than a decade ago, but we'd lost touch until running into each other at a half marathon a year ago. So thanks for being here with us, Haley. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here with you. Good, good. Okay, so you and I know each other through rowing, which I know you took up in high school, but when and how did running enter your life? Well, I will say that running was sort of the extra thing I did when I was tired of rowing, which was not very often. (laughs) Uh, But then then, uh, you grow up and have a job and kids and things happen. And I sort of transitioned more to running during COVID because I had to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, mostly 2020 where I, I I was listening to your podcasts and I think I bought (laughs) one of the love the run programs. And it was sort of a revelation to me that one could do so many different running workouts instead of just running, you know, for three miles and going home. So (laughs) uh, I kind of leaned into this community and got a little bit more into it when there were a lot less options for me out there from, you know, either rowing or, going to the gym. And so running and walking was really a relief for me during during COVID times here in Portland. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of kept going with it. So I'm on a little bit of a break now because we finished the, or I finished the Portland half marathon about two weeks ago. So I'm not sure what's next, but still excited to, to be out there. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. Thanks. Well, tell us about your cancer diagnosis and treatment. From what you've told Sarah, it sounds like it was a bit of a head scratcher. Yes, it was very confusing, but it was found through a regular routine mammogram that I went in for when I was 41 at the time. They saw something on the original image. I came back for more images, and that confirmed that there really was something that they wanted to do a biopsy on. So I did a a biopsy and then that came back with this diagnosis of ductal carcinoma. And the reason I found it very confusing is that it is considered non-invasive. And so it means that the cancer cells were present in my milk ducts, but they were not, um, but they were contained there. Mm -hmm. So the good news is that it wasn't invasive. They didn't believe it was spreading, unlikely to need any kind of like chemotherapy But the bad news was that my affected area was large enough after they did an MRI 
that the recommendation was to have a mastectomy, which mm. is pretty extreme. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people have invasive cancer that doesn't require a mastectomy. So it was pretty confusing to have both this optimistic diagnosis and also the only, quote unquote, only treatment you need is to have your breast completely removed. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot and it was confusing and it really made me learn a lot about how complicated cancer can be. Mm. I was obviously focused in learning about breast cancer, but it really kind of opened my eyes to how much we know and don't know about cancer and causes and treatments for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you didn't need chemotherapy after that? I didn't need chemotherapy. So I did have my, my diagnosis was in November of 21. And then I ended up having the mastectomy in January of 22. Mm -hmm. And luckily the pathology of the tissue that they removed matched what they believed they would see. So I didn't need chemotherapy and I didn't need radiation either. Oftentimes DCIS is in a, is a smaller localized area and they'll just scoop it out and then do some radiation around the area. But for me, they scooped everything out. And so they felt pretty confident that they had um, removed everything. Mm -hmm. So I just had to recover. (laughs) Yeah. And that was um, a process also. Mm. Talk to us about that process and, and how it also affected your ability to exercise. Yeah. So it is a major surgery. It is certainly the biggest event that I have had next to giving birth. And I, as I accepted that reality for me, part of my anxiety was just the process of like going into the OR. I've, I had never mm. been under um, sedation for a surgery. And so that was really scary to me. So just talking through that with medical professionals and other people was really valuable And it is major surgery, but it also isn't, I would say I was never in a lot of pain. I was Mm. pretty uncomfortable and sore, but, and they really encourage you to rest and recover and also encourage you not to lay around in bed. So Mm. I did do a lot of walking pretty much right away. My procedure was, it was still sort of COVID times here in Portland And so I uh, was able to go home after my surgery. Mm. So I didn't spend the night in the hospital. I got to go straight home. Wow. And I think even the next day, a friend came over and we walked around the block. Wow. And that, you know, was, it it is nice to be able to to realize like, yes, I had this big thing happen and I can still get up and get dressed and walk around the block and Mm -hmm. come home and take a nap afterwards. But (laughs) it, it really, I think the ability to get up and keep moving and that, people encouraged you to get up and keep moving was helpful to the recovery process. Hmm. So Haley, you, in my mind, sort of danced around this a tiny bit, and maybe I'm prying too much, but did you work with a mental health therapist during this time? I did. Yeah. I was um, really concerned about how to explain it to my kids. Mm -hmm. They were three and seven at the time. And in hindsight, cancer probably wasn't a scary word to them because I don't think they knew anything about it at the time. No one in our family has had serious cancer or died of cancer, mm-hmm. at least not recently, to, that they would remember. So originally I got connected to a therapist who specifically works with people going through cancer and their their support people. So I talked with her a little bit, but then ultimately she recommended, invited me to come to this support group that she held once a week virtually. So it was really easy to join Mm -hmm. um, from home. And that was really helpful just to hear other people's stories and hear their encouragement, people who had gone through treatment and people who were entering treatment or entering their diagnosis like I was. And I was worried that DCS was not not serious enough, I guess, or not, mm. not enough cancer to to be a part of that group. But I shared that and she said, no, like this is a diagnosis that is real and that people have come to the group with. And it was really helpful. Mm. It was a wide range of people. There were men, women, people younger than me, people much older than me, but it was very helpful. And so I would encourage people, if you have a diagnosis or know someone who has a diagnosis, hearing people's stories, I mean, certainly everyone's journey is their own and and we're all unique and have unique health needs, but it 
was really helpful to hear other stories, especially from people who were, who kind of I identified with. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. And you're even in the healthcare industry. So, you know, everybody can be nervous, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's different when it's you, That's, yeah. you know, and also I don't have any other chronic health issues. I'm a pretty healthy person. When I was pregnant, my medical provider told me that I was their most boring patient, which I thought was <laughs> wonderful, a great compliment. And what I realized kind of early on was when I had my first appointment with my surgeon, it wasn't until I was leaving the appointment that I made some kind of reference to my kids. And she said, oh, you have kids? And I was like, well, yeah, I have kids. Like I'm a 41-year-old lady. Like, I think you should assume I have kids. But, and also I was like, I had my kids like upstairs, literally at this hospital. But I think once she realized that I had young children at home, she kind of like adjusted her expectations of me to say things like, you need to stay home and rest for, you know, four to six weeks. How, like, who is going to help you with your children? So I think like bringing your full self into your treatments is really important because whether we have kids or not, we probably have people important to us or pets who are important to us and kind of a life that we want to keep living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that so that was important to me to learn that lesson of like I am not just this cancer diagnosis. Like I am this whole person, and mm-hmm. and that brings up your own fears and anxieties too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about your physical therapy after your single mastectomy. Um, it was pretty straightforward. I think mm-hmm. I was pretty much told to rest for about four to six weeks. I took three weeks off work. And luckily, I work from home on a computer, so I don't have a very physical job. And so I was able to go back after three weeks. I was pretty tired after that first week. But then at about six to eight weeks after the surgery, started doing physical therapy. The first couple appointments were actually virtual because Mm. it was still COVID times. And they were kind of, I think, preferring to not meet with people if they didn't have to. So I did the first couple meetings by video visit at home, which I guess was a little weird, but it worked out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they then I had an in-person visit and they kind of assigned some different stretches and, and exercises and luckily didn't have a lot of complications there. And once they graduated me from physical therapy, I guess they kind of said, you just, you can do anything you want. You just have to remember that you're starting from zero. Just mm-hmm. don't assume your body can do anything. I was like, mm-hmm. I've, that's easy. Okay. <laughs> so at that point I had still been walking a lot and it was, it must've been about eight weeks after the surgery that I was walking. And it was a, a you know, one of those nice early spring days. And I just thought, I think I can run. <laughs> I was like, I think this is okay. I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know? So I started doing like the run walk intervals and you know, just went from there and it was, it, it worked out really well. So, and, and I know because I've seen you doing or at both of them, and maybe there's more, you've done at least two half marathons since your surgery, yep. as you mentioned, including the Portland half earlier this month. So how did the first one feel, which I know was in October of 22. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, almost a year later. Yeah. So Actually, one of the ways I got motivated to do that first one last year is that I listened to one of your podcasts, Sarah, where you interviewed a cancer survivor who did a bodybuilding yeah, the, competition. Yes, the, yes, the bo- yes. yes uh-huh, so my good friend Dana. Yeah. Uh huh. It turned out that I listened to that episode as I was driving to a doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. and I thought well, maybe I should do something fun and different, fun, quote unquote, fun and different and, you know, have something to look forward to after all this. And so that's where I sort of got the idea of of thinking about a half marathon and just thought it would be a good goal to put at the end of the year as a way to kind of get back into being active and regain strength and confidence and just um, gratitude for being able to be out there. So the Columbia Gorge Half Marathon um, <laughs> is not so easy, though. It has quite a bit of elevation gain, which I didn't appreciate at the time because I guess I just didn't pay attention to elevation gain when I uh-huh. read about races. But it was a lovely 
event. It was very good weather. Yes, it sure One was. One of my mm-hmm. good friends did it with me. We mostly, I did take kind of a walk break every mile or so for a minute or two, but we finished and I was just really grateful to be back there and out and doing it. It was the first, I had done two half marathons before having kids. So it was definitely a re-entry into mm-hmm. a long race or even like a running event. I don't think I'd done a, a formal running race since having kids, at least not not that seriously. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of leaned into it again this year and and then signed up for Portland, which also Sarah pointed out was very flat and yeah. had very little elevation gain, <laughs> if any. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but both both races have been really good experiences for me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm talking to that friend tomorrow, actually. So I'm going to tell her that her conversation really made an impact in somebody's life. So awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, Haley, I look forward to seeing you at more Portland races and, uh, we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) Eventually. Come on. The range just returned. Get out there. I know. Right. Oh, thank you, Haley, for prompting us to do this episode. I really appreciate it. Oh yes. Thank you. Well, Molly, when I was definitely struck by how many guests talked about how everyone's journey is different. Yeah, yeah. And there's a the physical part and there is the mental part, mm-hmm. I, you know, coming in touch with your mm, humanity, right? You're, you're inevitable. We're all going yeah, that mortality. direction. Mortality. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. I also like how two guests threw out some adages I had never heard. If I rest, I rust, or I want to keep moving to keep moving. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So but, I, you I, know, they all had a positive spin on it. I mean, it was devastating and they none of them chose it or wanted it, but they all were coming out of this being quite positive about life and where they were and, mm-hmm. and how they were moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very yeah. affirming. Yes, yes. All right. Well, uh, not to be crass, but I'd like to suggest you peruse our mother runner store. And what made me think of that is that we have this shirt in there. This We have um, tees with clever phrases and, and hats. But one of them, one of the tees includes a six word story. I am stronger than I thought. And it was thought up by this mother runner in Pennsylvania to enter to win a treadmill, a Nordic track treadmill. And that was the winning phrase. And a couple months later, somebody was like, well, you're going to put that on a shirt, right? And I was like, why? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. (laughs) And so I have to say at race expos, that always strikes a chord with breast cancer survivors or family members or friends of people who are thriving after breast cancer so that it's given as a gift to a lot of those people. Awesome. So yeah. So to find that, you would go to anothermotherrunner.com and then click on store in our top navigation. Our podcast day was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medor from Fire on the Bluff. So um, before I let you go, I have to ask our people in Traverse City talking a lot about Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. Yes, Mm -hmm. I just finished it and passed it on to my mom. Um, So good, right? It's, it, yes, and here's the other part. My uh, I, my grandparents were cherry farmers, so oh, that was oh wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was extra fun. In fact, the other day I even started googling like where exactly she was basing this off of, and I nailed it down to this little farm on uh, nearby, and <laughs> there was their produce in the grocery store, and I just had to buy it. <laughs> Did you get the Ann Patchett jam? Did you yeah. get part of that? <laughs> No, I didn't. She made her own jam. Uh, no, well, yeah, yeah. She company. worked with, there's a jam company. I'm not remembering the name American of it now. American something. Oh, American Spoon Foods. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh, yeah.